0: So we are going to continue in looking at our the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at the tenth verse of every chapter from Ephesians. Because the tenth verse of every chapter in Ephesians just has something very powerful. But if you look at them in their entirety, just give you a snapshot of the whole book of Ephesians, and I love it. So today we're going to look at um, chapter two and verse 10. I'm going to look around it a little bit. Probably look a bit more from verse eight, but chapter two, verse ten says, "We are God's handiwork, His masterpiece." That's what some of the translations say. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Last week we looked at chapter ten of verse one, and that's what it said in, in it, it, what it said in verse one. Uh, chapter ten, verse one was this: it "said Now God has revealed to us." his mysterious will regarding christ which is to fulfill his own good plan and this is the plan at the right time he will bring everything together under the authority of christ everything in heaven and on earth remember we were talking about how he's going to fill all things everywhere and it talks about how the times that we're in the times that paul talked about will link to the amazing resources that he's poured into us that we read about in the preceding verses. But then these times are about how the family of God steward these amazing resources. God has a plan and he's given us these resources that he wants us in the spirit to steward, to see this all things everywhere coming about, all things everywhere being filled with himself. So let's turn to chapter 2. And what I want to do is read from verse 1. You could spend an age, really, just looking at this one chapter. And even these 10 verses from this one chapter, they are the most amazing verses in speaking the truth about who we are in Christ and what has happened to us in Christ. So let me read to you. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, Paul starts this chapter by painting a picture of who we were before we came to Christ. This is how we used to be. This is what we used to be. And he highlights, doesn't he, the the, the fact that if you don't wake up to this, if you don't wake up to this, we're going to go through life and we'll face death living with the consequences of it. But he's writing this letter to the church. He's writing this letter to the household of God, to those who have already woken up to the peril of their situation apart from Christ. And this is what he says to them as you read on in that passage. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, which means he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve and our rebellion deserve. He's rich in mercy. Then he goes on, he's made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's lifted us from our deadness, from our utter subjection to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he's given us a new perspective and a new power in the world today. Why? Read on. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable, great, incomparably great riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not, this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Kind of gives real weight to this when we read those preceding verses, doesn't it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that by grace and through faith we've been, we've been saved. That for those who have trusted in Christ, we were once dead. But now we are alive. And we want to live that life today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we we were sitting down. We've had had Jay and Holly home this week. And uh, we were sitting down to watch a movie or something on the telly. I can't remember what it was. And uh, we turned over and it was just a little bit early. So we caught the tail end of the program before the one we were watching. And it was a program about the ridiculously rich in Dubai. And we caught 10 minutes of this program and to be honest with you, it really wound me up. It really wound me up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. There was this woman and her children who were traveling from their first home in their Dubai to their second home in Jersey. And because she didn't like flying very much, they chartered a plane. The cost of chartering that plane was £80,000. And because she was nervous, she was like, oh, we, we, we have to have... They had 25 different bags of treats that were put on the plane for an eight-hour journey. And they had blooms over the entrance to the, to, to the plane to make everyone feel OK. It was just so unbelievably wasteful. But what really struck me is that you know, she, she wanted the very best for her. And for her children that was what the best looked like for her but then they they jumped on to her two um, filipino um housekeepers and while they were away in jersey their two filipino housekeepers had some time off and they went to the filipino quarter of dubai where they ate extremely looked lovely but very basic and cheap Filipino food because that's what they love to eat. And then they trawled around the charity shops trying to find a new swimsuit so they could go to the beach and they couldn't afford to go into the main shops. And they interviewed these two women. As one woman in particular that really struck me. She had been working in Dubai for 20 years. Her son was one year old when she went to Dubai. And for twenty years, she had seen her son once a year. And every year, she would every week she would send money back to pay for her son to go to university, to go to school, and then at that point, she was paying for him to go to university. And it just really struck me the sacrifice that she was making to give her child the very best that she could give him, to enable him to reach his full potential it was so costly for her and then it struck me this is not stay with that thought i had another thought 80 grand would pay for that child's education many times over many times over you just got struck by the just the kind of the unfairness of our world she sacrificed so much to give what she could Why am I sharing this because It goes some way to highlight the message that I want us to take away from this passage today, that God has sacrificially given of himself. He sent his son to die for us, to give us the most amazing gift so that we can reach our full potential as human beings. He has given so much for us to have the gifts so that we can be the people he's called and he's created us to be. And I think we see it in these verses today. I want us to really focus on verse probably 8, 9 and 10. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's nothing. It's not. It is not this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Just hang on that for a moment. A gift from God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. There are gifts that God has given us: the gift of grace and faith. The gift. Do you know I do a little bit of artwork? Let's do it. Let's do a little box around it. A little ribbon on top. There you go. Good in it. <laughs> There's these two gifts that God has given us. And it's the gifts that we need, that we receive when we come to Christ, when we experience and know Him in salvation. Just beautifully summarizes it, doesn't it, at the beginning of this passage. You were dead, dead in your sin, your transgression, and your rebellion. You were dead. There's no mistaking it, is there? And then what happens? In Christ, you are alive. This is who you were, and this is who you are, and it's all an act of saving grace through faith. But it doesn't stop there, does it? By these gifts, we know that salvation in that moment, but you know, it's by these gifts also that we, we because when we come to faith, we start an amazing journey, don't we? It's an amazing journey and it's the gift of faith and I believe it's the gift of grace that we need to continue in that journey day by day, hour by hour, faith and grace. These are the gifts we need to go on. We need these two gifts as we go on in our journey, working out what this salvation looks like, working out what this salvation means. And it's these two gifts I really want to focus on today because it's in our receiving of these gifts that I think we start to really motor in what God is saying here in verse 10. We become his handiwork, his masterpiece. Some of the other translations, um, you know, the, the imagery is of somebody painting a picture creating a beautiful piece of music now i think it's fair to say when i think about the human body and i don't care whose body it is i marvel because it's an amazing thing isn't it it's just an amazing thing but i don't think that is the handiwork that God is talking about here. I I think we we marvel it from other parts, a a human creation from other parts of Scripture, but I'm not sure that's the, the handiwork that God is talking about here. Not when you think about and contrast what Paul says at the beginning of this chapter with what he's saying here. He's saying this is who you kind of were before you came to Christ. Dead subject to these things the, the, the spirit of the the age and you know and then he contrasts us to this kind of like this passage where you about, you're being recreated you're being made beautiful in a spiritual sense you're dead now you're alive it's like you were born again and this beautiful work of recreation has begun it's like god painting on the canvas of your life isn't that a wonderful thought I think that's a wonderful thought. God is painting on the canvas of your life. If you let him. He has good things prepared in advance for you to do. Steve shared a little bit about this in the WhatsApp discussion that we're having about uh, uh, Ephesians this week. It's not too late to sign up to get that if you wanted to. Let me read what Steve said, because it's just a helpful summary. He says, it's God's plan from the beginning that the followers of his son would do good things in the world and so show themselves to be the children of light. God predestined the church to, to live a countercultural kingdom lifestyle where love is the key, that opens the broken hearts of trapped people and lets the healing life of Jesus in. All this means that we have a responsibility to do good and that we need to listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying in our hearts because he wants, he wants to prompt us in how to love and do good. We need to be in the right place at the right time. So before our, ha- before our hands go to work, first they need to be folded in prayer, interceding, listening. Often it is as we pray for a situation that God whispers a thought into our heart, something we can do, an act of kindness, something even what, some, sometimes even what seems to, that the smallest kindness can advance the kingdom of Jesus. Sometimes it's a small key can open a big door, a small key in the hand of someone who has been praying. Basically what he's saying, and what this is saying, is good stuff needs to flow out of the salvation that we've received and we know. And I want to highlight, just to finish really, two ways which I believe God does this, two, two, two ways, through faith and through grace through faith and grace, the ongoing giving of these two gifts. There's saving faith and there's saving grace. But then there's this grace that just God keeps pouring out and faith that he expects and wants us to continue to exercise and use. This is what it says about faith in Hebrews 11. Familiar words to some, I'm sure. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see think about that in the light of what we read at the beginning of chapter 2, one of those first opening verses. It says there, verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but that passage takes a bit of faith for me to get my head around. Is it just me or are there others? Verse 6, let me read it again. Yeah, yeah. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Now, I think this is something that by faith we have to receive because we can't see it. We can't see it, can we? But by faith, we can believe and know that there is a spiritual reality beyond that which is perceived, felt, and seen in the natural lives we live. It's a supernatural realm, and I believe that supernatural realm has a massive impact upon the the physical realm. But he says we're seated in that supernatural realm with him, yet we're living in the natural realm, aren't we? Now, I think the gift of faith provides us with the ability to start to see from that realm. Start to see from that heavenly realm. Because what it does is it changes our perspective on our outlook in, in this realm as we start to see from that realm. By faith, we can develop a confidence in God's promises as we seek to live from that place. Confidence in His power, an experience of His presence. We start to take stands and make moves and pray prayers that aren't so much shaped by the limitations of the physical realm, the place that we live. But in faith, they come from the place, the spiritual realm, where we're seated with the ascended, the ascended, risen, victorious Lord Jesus Christ. So we start to see from that perspective, does that make sense? Just a little bit, maybe. Changes the way we view the world. And the gift of faith, I believe, gives us a confidence in God, in his word, in his promises. We start to see things and act according to that place. Here's the great thing. I'm so glad about this because Jesus says, we don't have to have this all works out. All he wants is a little bit of faith. And sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? All we've got is this little bit of faith. We read those verses and something goes, oh, yes, it's truth. And we take what little bit of faith that we have and we put it into action and it makes a difference. But I don't want to stay with a little bit of faith. I want my faith to grow. And I think that's a fair prayer to pray because that little bit of faith was as small as a mustard seed. And what happens to the mustard seed? Becomes the biggest tree in the garden, doesn't it? So that's faith. I know I'm just scratching the service here, but what about grace? What about grace? Come on then, what's grace? What's grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. It's a verb and a noun. <laughs> You've seen how good I am at this. <laughs> so, so it's a. Go on. Say that. Say it to everyone, Janet. So it's a doing. Go on. <laughs> Shout it out. It's a verb and a noun. It's a. Quick. And it's. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Great. So, verb and a noun, Christ's riches, are God's riches at Christ's expense. Anything more? Unmerited love, forgiveness, the blessings of God, the favor of God, undeserved freedom, yeah start getting into the effects of grace. But here's here's my kind of stab at a definition. The unmerited and endless favor of God. His divine enabling and endless source and, and, and the endless source of his goodness to us. Yeah? I think that kind of summarizes and sums up the unmerited and endless favor of God. It's his divine enabling and an endless source of his goodness to us. Now, we sing a song sometimes. It's like confession here. Does yeah. anyone ever happen? You know, you sing a song, and then you get the words wrong, but you sing it heartily and gustily like you've got it right. And everyone's like looking going, does he realize? Now, there's that song. I can't remember the first line of it, but there's a, song in the, a line in the song that says, and if grace were an ocean, we'd be sinking. If grace were an ocean, we'd be sinking. Now, I thought for months, <laughs> I I'm going to say this. It was, if grace is a notion, <laughs> we're, we're sinking. So I'm like, singing along, <laughs> sometimes quite loudly, um, badly. I thought it was a bit weird. An odd line for a nice modern worship song. If grace is a notion, we're all sinking. Not the most catchy line, is it? For a modern but I thought it's a bit weird, but I just thought, you know what? It's true, isn't it? It's true. If grace is a notion, a whimsical impulse or desire, I looked up the meaning. We're sunk. We are sunk. Not the line. The line is, if grace is an ocean, we're sinking in that we are overwhelmed. We are enveloped. We are, you know, it's not taking a sip, it's diving in. We're baptized. We're immersed. Such is the extent the vastness, the greatness of God's grace. We need to embrace this. If we're going to work out, if we're going to walk in our salvation. Because it's his gift to us. We want to see from that heavenly perspective. If we want to function from that place, we're going to need his grace. We're going to need his grace every minute of every day we're going to need to immerse ourselves in that and i want to think about how we do that because sometimes it's really easy to stand at the front here and say yeah immerse yourself in god's grace i'm like how and i was thinking that about it over a a few days I was thinking about something Ryan said, actually, um, when you shared about the ABC of salvation. So I've got the ABC of immersing yourself in God's grace. The first is this. A. We need to acknowledge. no. That's about the right EDGE. Ac-no. So we need to A, acknowledge. We pray often before the service, and this is our prayer. Lord, take us lower so you can go higher. Take us lower so you can go higher. Because as soon as I make it about me, I miss the point. Yeah, I've got gifts. Of things I believe God has given us as we all are as we all have but we offer those on the altar and we just say I'm going to get low so you can go high because as soon as it becomes about me I'm doing it in my own strength and I can do this in my own strength that's pride speaking I can But there will always be limit and there will always be lack. And I will always be, sorry for the phrase, knackered. (laughs) It's true. We need to learn how to do it in his strength. And the first place is we have to acknowledge our utter reliance upon him. Second B You're not going to see this at the back, but you'll remember it We need to believe We need to turn our minds and our hearts regularly to the truth of who God is and his promises for us. We need to meditate on who he is. I love that song we sung. I and mean, we haven't talked about what I was going to talk about today. But how did it go? You've got the words to it. You know, that one we sung um, about believe, I believe, I believe. You say, wasn't that beautiful? Yeah. Oh, I believe, I believe. What you say, I believe. And it's like, you say I'm loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I'm strong when I think I am weak. Yeah, we just... What we believe really does have a very, very significant impact upon us. And what we believe about God will shape and change how we respond and relate and react to him. So I just think what I want to say is the second point about how we walk in this and and immerse ourselves in the grace of God is we acknowledge our utter need for God. We believe who he is and what he says about himself. And we believe what he says about us. And then C, we connect. This is probably the toughest one. When Jesus died on the cross, what happened to the curtain in the temple? ripped in two hallelujah and what that meant is you know we could then go to the place that was restricted the holy of holies we can go into the very presence of god and that's a wonderful thing isn't it but what it also meant is that god we saw this in pentecost was able to pour himself out into the hearts and the lives. I will pour my spirit on all flesh. So it's not just about us coming to him. It's about him coming to us. I don't pray for an open heaven because there is an open heaven. The heaven was torn. So there is this flow of grace from the very throne presence of God we need to learn how to immerse ourselves in and look to and walk in every day. So when we pray, that grace is there. Not about us, because if we make it about us, there will always be limit and there will always be lack. So when we pray, we're looking, we're listening, we're wanting to know what that flow of grace looks like in this situation. We're acknowledging our need. We're believing in the God who we love and serve and what he says about himself. And then we want to immerse ourselves in all that he is pouring out and intentionally doing so each day. Now, what does it mean for me to be living in the flow of the grace, this grace today? It will look very different to what the world says. And as we pray, let that shape what we pray, not what our minds may be trying to tell us in that moment. The flow of grace, I believe this, comes as we connect with him and we learn to live from the place that he lives within us the new creations that we are in Christ. We don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil taint and sully that. We live from the place that he lives within us. It's inside out living. As we embrace that, we start to live in the flow of his grace.